politics is a hot topic these days. Have you noticed that at all? Hot politics is a is a hot topic. It seems like it's uh, on the news and it's uh, in in the conversations people are having, and everybody has an opinion. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but uh, Tuesday's voting day. Have you noticed that Tuesday is voting day? In fact, I, I meant to do this before I came up here. I need to do it now. Uh, Pam and I went last week, and we we voted. So uh, we did our duty. I hope you do your duty as well and, uh, and, and cast your ballot to have your voice. Uh, many people have voted and have voted early, hopefully not often, but just early. And, uh, uh, and the turnout has already been uh, overwhelming. In fact, National Public Radio has already stated this will be the largest turnout for a midterm election since 1966. So a lot of interest, a lot of opinion, and uh, I always, always think, you know, the higher the turnout, the better. The, the more our, we make our voices known, the more, uh, the, the more likely who we are to get the government that, uh, that truly represents the people. Now let me ask this question this morning. Should our faith, if we're Christians, should our faith play a role in how we vote? Should our faith play a role not only in how we vote, which is every two years or every four years, should our faith play a role in how we conduct ourselves as citizens? Citizens of the United States of America, of the state of North Carolina, of Durham County or whatever county you happen to reside in, should our faith play a role in that? In fact, we've been talking about the topic of hope, and we're looking and working our way through the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. I'd invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn there. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse number 13 today. And while you're making your way there, just a, a reminder that we're talking about the topic of hope, how the only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. He's the only hope that we have, but the good news is He's the only hope that we need. And once we have Jesus as our Savior, and once you and I know the hope that Jesus brings, it changes everything about us. It changes our, our relationship with God. It changes our relationship with people. It changes, today we're going to look at, it changes our relationship with our country. Whether your country is the United States of America or Mexico or Canada or China or Afghanistan or England or Switzerland or anywhere in between, whatever your country is, if you know Jesus as your Savior and you know the hope that he brings, it will impact your relationship with the country that you reside in as a citizen. Let me give you a couple of Bible verses to, to kind of uh, flesh this out a little bit. In the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20, it says this, Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, I'm a citizen of the United States, and I'm a, I'm a patriotic as anybody else, and I love my country, I love my nation, but I recognize as a Christian my ultimate citizenship is in heaven. That's the only eternal citizenship that there is. And that verse goes on to say, And from it, or from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did I say amen to that? Jesus is coming back, and uh, we are citizens of heaven. We looked last week as we were in 1 Peter chapter 2, we looked last week that there are two descriptions of Christians while they're on the earth. The first is the word sojourner. A sojourner is somebody who's just passing through. Not from around here, not going to stay here forever, just kind of passing through. And the second word is the word exile, which is a, a word that means you're living somewhere that is not your own country. 
And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, we read last week, Beloved, these are Christians, I urge you as sojourners who are just passing through and exiles who are living in a land that's not your own, uh, I, warn, uh, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Let me invite you to stand with me this morning. I want to read another verse of Scripture uh, for you uh, from 1 Timothy. Uh, before we get to our main passage this morning, from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. I'm going to go ahead and alert you now that in just a moment, I'm going to offer a prayer for our nation. We need to pray for our nation. Amen? Amen? Not just today, but every day. Not just this election, but every election. But in a moment, I'm going to offer a prayer uh, for the election, but also for our nation. And just before I pray, if anybody feels so inclined to join me down here at the front, I'll give you a, a, a few minutes in a minute to make your way down to the front, spread out across the front here. If you feel more comfortable staying where you are, please do that. But if you're so inclined, I would invite you to join me down here around the front as, uh, as I pray or lead in a prayer for our nation. But before I do that, I want to re remind you of the words of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where it says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Who do we pray for right at the end? Say it with me. All people. That's everybody. Verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions... We're to pray for our leaders in our nation, whatever those leaders look like. And notice what we're to pray for, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now notice that verse on the screen there. There are four things that we pray for. We pray that as believers, as, as Christians, that our life might be peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified. That's what we pray for. Verse number three. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, who do we pray for? All people. What is God's desire for all people? That all people be what? Saved. That all people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So that as we pray as believers... You see, our prayers, because we're Christians, because we are followers of Christ, our prayers are to be God-directed and God-oriented and Scripture content because that's how we are to pray. We're not to pray selfishly. We're not to pray for, for particular outcomes. We're to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in just a moment, I'm going to offer this prayer. And right now, if you'd like to, just come join me here at the front, and, uh, and I'm going to, to have that prayer. And uh, while you're coming, just want to remind you yet again that as Christians, we're called to pray for these four specific things, that we might be able to live a life that is peaceful, a life that is quiet, a life that is godly, so that the government allows us simply to live out our faith and a life that is dignified, recognizing every human being has dignity because every human being we recognize is created in the image of God. And as we pray this way, it's good, it honors God, because we recognize every person created in His image is His purpose and His plan that they come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege today 
to live in a land where we can worship freely, drive onto this prim- on the premises here at Ridgecrest with no concern that authorities or others will take names and harass us or persecute us in any way. May we not take that for granted. Lord, thank you that we live in a nation and a country that uh, we're not only we're free to, to worship, but we're also free to practice our faith out in the public square. May we not only thank you for that, but may we indeed live out our faith. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we might be willing to, to live out our life in such a way in the freedom that we have that it would glorify and honor you. And our Heavenly Father, just as has happened in this nation for over 200 years, this coming Tuesday is Election Day, and we're going to, to go to the polls. Some of us have already gone and voted, and, and I pray that as we vote and as our nation makes up its mind, that we might recognize that we are to live out our lives in ways that honor and glorify you, in ways that give honor and respect to our leaders, whoever they may be, and that, Lord, in the midst of the life that we live on this earth, that we would bring praise and glory and honor to your name. Thank you for each one of us, Lord, that's gathered here today. And in the brief moments that we have and the numbers of people that are here, we're just a small drop in the bucket compared to the citizens of this county and this state and this nation. But we know that through the few, Lord, you can impact the masses because of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, you may go back and remain, remain standing if you would. It's a little, little different today. As you make your way back to your seat, I'm going to call your attention to our passage today, which is 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through uh, 25 as they describe the Christian's role as a citizen. Our role as a citizen of this nation, or really the role of a Christian as a citizen of any nation. And I want to just look at three verses very briefly that have important things for us to say. The first is verse number 13. I want you to notice there on the screen that it tells us that we are to be subject to every human institution. Did you notice that? This is a passage written to Christians, and it's saying to us that we are to be subject to or to be submissive to or to give authority over us to every human institution that is over us. That's our local government, our state government, and our national government. And I know right now there's some that say, yes, that's how we should be. And there are others that say, oh, no, well, what about this or what about that? We'll get to that in just a minute. But I want you to notice what's in capital letters there. And I want you to read this verse out loud with me, saying the letters that are there in all caps. Ready? Let's read that together. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, when you look at that verse, I want you to notice that there is the what be subject to local and national governments or authorities. For what purpose? For the Lord's sake. So there's something about being a believer and being a good citizen of the nation where you are. There's something about that that is for the sake of the Lord. Notice again, verse 15. It says, for this is the will of God. It is God's will for us that we be good citizens in the nations in which we live. This is true for all places in all times. Notice again is verse number 16. Uh, live as people who are free. Live as those who are free, and we might tend to think free to do whatever we want to, but that's not what the verse goes on to say. We're, we live as people who are free as what? Say it with me. Servants of God. So there's something about being a Christian that ought to impact every area 
of our life as a citizen. And so again, Heavenly Father, we pray and we ask that we might be both reminded of what your word says as, uh, to us as Christians and also, Lord, that we might be uh, instructed of how we are to live as followers and as servants of God. And we ask that you would teach us these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now you may be seated. So, what is it about being a Christian that impacts our life as a citizen of a country? And what I want us to notice today is that our theme of the book of 1 Peter of hope is this, that when we know the hope of Jesus in our life, it will impact us to be good, and by the word good, I mean godly citizens of the nation or the country where we live. I want us to look today at two themes for Christian citizens, two themes in this passage of Scripture for you and I as Christian citizens. The first theme I want you to notice we see in verses 13 to 17, and that is that godly citizenship becomes a testimony to the lost. If you and I will live out our faith as citizens, but as godly citizens, it will truly be a testimony. It will declare the faith that we have in Jesus to those who do not know Jesus. Remember the verse we just read? It is God's will that all people be saved, that all people turn from their sins and trust Jesus as Savior. So if that's true, then there, then, then there are many avenues God gives us to get the message out. One of those is by how we act and conduct ourselves as citizens. Because one of our most important roles as Christians is to represent our Savior to those who do not yet know Him. And so we, we also understand that Christians are not called to be citizens of a nation who happen to be Christians, but Christians are called to be citizens of heaven who happen to live in the nation that we're in. Because those phrases, sojourners and exiles, are very important in, in the mindset that we have. We're not called to get too comfortable and, and to fit right in with where we are, forgetting the fact that we belong to a country somewhere else, and that country is in heaven. Eight times in the books of First and Second Peter, we're reminded of God's love for us as believers. And we don't have time this morning to go into that. I will tell you that if you would like to join us Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, at 7 p.m. in room 509, our study will be on these eight uh, passages in First and Second Peter dealing with how we are to love one another and, as, and how God loves us and his love for us as believers and then therefore how we are to love one another. It's going to be a great study. would love it if you join us on Wednesday at 7 p.m. But we recognize that because of God's love for us, it impacts how we love each other as believers and it impacts how we share our faith with those who are not believers. So, so we become then a testimony. You and I become a testimony for Christ because we know Him and we know hope. So, so we're a testimony when we submit to earthly authority. That's what we need to understand. When you and I submit ourselves to the local and national authorities over us, then we become a testimony to our faith in Christ. Notice verse 13 again. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Now, this is a hard pill to swallow. 
verse 13 and, and 14. I, want, I don't want you to think I'm just glossing over this and, and that, yeah, we're to, be, uh, we're to be blindly following whatever political leader happens to be in office. Uh, but, but the teaching is very clear, and, and it's hard uh, on the one hand, it's, but it's easy on the other. When my party is in power and my candidate is in office, it's easy to follow, isn't it? You know how often that happens? <laughs> Not all that often. But what about... When the other party's in power? What about when the government is not made up of, of honest elections? What about when you live in a country where there's a dictator or where there's a, the communists or the socialists? Or what about a, in a country where the leaders are evil or wicked and they are ungodly? What about the Democrats or the Republicans or the Libertarians or the Green Party or the Tea Party? or whatever other group happens to be out there? What if they're not your party or your group, and they're in office, and they're enacting uh, laws and legislating things that are not to your liking? What about that? That makes it really hard. But we need to be reminded that we're called to respect the office, even in those times when we don't respect the person who's in the office. That's what we need to recognize. And we do this not because of our political persuasion, but because of our, Christ, our Christian uh, 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 dedication. Amen. We're called to, to be this kind of person because we're surrendered to Christ before we ever surrender to anything else. Warren Wiersbe, a pastor and theologian, says this, A true Christian submits himself to authority because he is first of all submitted to Christ. He uses his faith as a tool to build with and not as a weapon to fight with. And I think those are some very good words. We may not always agree with the politics or the decisions, but we are called to, to be servants of God and we're called to be supportive. We have a higher calling. But what about those times? Here's what you're thinking because I did too. What about those times when, when the government or the leaders or the authorities, when, when they enact a policy that is directly in opposition to our Christian values? How can we be a Christian who is a citizen of heaven and our ultimate authority is to our Lord Jesus Christ? And, then how, and what do we do then as a good citizen in our earthly country when our government goes in, in different directions? When the government acts in ungodly ways, when the leaders act in ungodly ways, when, when there are legal practices that go against our very faith, what do we do then? Well, there's a couple of examples I'd like to give you. Back in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel... You remember the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And, and they are Israelites. They were young men. When the Babylonians conquered Israel as a judgment of God, and they carted off all the, 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 the smart people and the educated people and the skilled people, and then these young men uh, among them were taken from Israel to Babylon to, to enter into the kingdom's, the king's service. And when these men were chosen to, for positions of authority, they were, they were given a diet that went against the Old Testament dietary laws. And they had to make a choice. They had to make a decision. What do I do? On the one hand, I serve and follow after God. On the other hand, the king has mandated that we eat a certain diet. And, and, and so, so what do we do? Well, they, 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 they did it, handle it in such a way as to honor the king 
and not to disrespect or to go against the, the Babylonian rulers. They asked. They, 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 they put forth a, a suggestion. They asked for permission uh, to eat in a different way and to see how it would work out. And in the end, they glorified God and they honored the king at the same time. So this is one way that we might approach a, a government policy or, or a candidate or a, a ruler that may be acting in opposition to God. Another example we have is in Acts chapter 4 in the New Testament. Peter and the other disciples were preaching about Jesus and people were coming to faith in Christ. And so, so the P Peter and, and others were hauled in to, to the religious leaders, the Jews, and they told them, stop preaching about Jesus. Don't go out there and tell anybody else about Jesus. And these people, in addition to being religious leaders, they were also civic leaders. They, they were uh, in charge of the people. So what do, what do you do when you're told, on the one hand, I want to follow my king, Jesus. On the other hand, I want to follow earthly authorities. But the earthly authorities are telling me I can't do what Jesus tells me to do. What do you do? In Acts chapter 4, it, they, they handled it in a good way. They refused to stop preaching about Jesus. They said, we can't help preaching about Jesus. But what they did, they did not do, they did not cause an uprising. They did not deny the authority of the leaders. They, they showed respect even though they were disobeying what the commands were. And in that vein, they were able to continue preaching and they were able to function under the authority that God had set up uh, in the land of Israel at that time. Something a little closer to home. Back in the 1960s, Martin Luther King Jr. led nonviolent protests against racial injustice. Many that are in this room remember those days and, and, and lived through or have seen pictures or, or studied and, and recognize the fact that, that here, was, here was a man who both respected the authority in the country and at the same time had to stand against racial injustice and did so in a way that both demonstrated faith and led to a great change in our culture and in our society. So we are a testimony when we submit to earthly authority, even in the face of having to disobey that authority in order to take a stand for our Lord Jesus Christ. But also notice this, that we're a testimony when we submit to God. Not only to earthly authorities, but when we submit to God, we are a testimony. Notice verses 15 and 16 where it says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Notice a couple of things that are very important here about submitting to God. Because you see, left to our own devices, if we don't like what the country's doing, we're going to rebel against our country. Left to our own devices, if we don't like what God says, we're going to rebel against God, which we all have done. So, so what do we do as those who are surrendered first and foremost to God, and how is that a testimony? Notice verse 15, the phrase, uh, the will of God. You see, we follow the will of God and not our own will. I don't know about you. Well, actually, I do, because we're all the same in this regard. As believers, as followers of Christ, we all have that battle wearing and waging in our soul. And the battle is what I want to do versus what God wants me to do. And the battle is, am I going to, 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 to put God on the back burner? Am I going to ignore what he says? Or am I going to surrender and submit myself to his will, even if it costs me something? 
Even if I'm a little awkward about doing it. Even if it's not the most pleasant thing. Am I going to do what, what God's will is when I know what God's will is? Or am I not going to do it? That's the choice I have to make. And so in verse 15, we're reminded that the will of God is important. That's what we've surrendered ourselves to and submitted ourselves to. And notice there in verse number 15 that when we submit to the will of God, that's what silences the ignorance and foolishness of people. When they make accusations against us and against God and then see us acting and living in ways of surrender to God, it just silences all of their arguments. There's nothing else that we need to do. Notice in verse 16, we are the servants of God. That phrase, the servants of God. That means we are at His disposal. We are at His beck and call. He tells us uh, where to go, when to go, how to go, how high to jump, how low to, to dive. He, we're at His disposal as believers and followers of Christ. And then ver notice again verse 13 which says, This is for the Lord's sake. It's for His sake. We're doing all that we know to do because it's His will and we're surrendered to Him and it's for His sake. And so in a world that's looking to criticize and reject the gospel, we're called to use our citizenship as an avenue of hope, as a testimony. And what a great difference that makes, especially in the politically charged climate in which we find ourselves living in today. Now, I want you to notice in verse 17, there are four commands given to believers. I'm going to have to, to be much quicker than I'd like to be uh, here and, and the rest of the message. But notice these four commands. Verse 17, first of all, honor everyone. Honor everyone. Now, this word everyone is a Greek word that means everyone. <laughs> See, if we're not careful, we'll read words like everyone, and we think, well, that's everyone except for. The word honor is a Greek word that means a duty to value and show respect. So we have a duty given to us by God to give honor and respect to every person. And that's fine as long as they're like me. But when they're not like me, it, it, it might not be so fine. But I'm still called to do it. What about if they're a different color? Honor them. What about if they're from a different culture? Honor them. What if they speak a different language or if they speak our language but with an accent? Honor them. What if they have tattoos and piercings and don't look like mama and daddy told me I ought to look? Honor them. I'll never forget my dad told me when I was in high school, I told him I wanted to get my ear pierced. He said, you can get your ear pierced all you want to. Where are you going to live? <laughs> what if they don't dress like me? Honor them. What if they pull for the wrong team? Now we're getting personal. Especially this football season, isn't that right? Honor them. What if they live together but they're not married? Honor them. What if they're homosexual or LGBTQ plus whatever else is out there? Honor them. What if I don't like them? Honor them. 
What if they don't vote like I do? I went, Pam and I went to vote, and there's people out there running for the same office, and one's handing me this thing, one's handing me that thing, one's saying, come over here, the other one's saying, come over there. What if they don't vote like I do? Honor them. What if they're in a caravan working their way up through Mexico? See, that Greek word everyone means everyone. Honor everyone. Do you think that would stand out and make a difference in the culture in which we live if we as Christians decided we're going to follow God's command and honor everyone regardless of? It doesn't mean we have to agree. It doesn't mean we have to condone. It doesn't mean that, that we are jumping on board with whatever they happen to believe or wherever they happen to come from. But it does mean that as we honor, we are showing our testimony of Christ that every person created in His image is dignified and worthy of honor. And it would be amazing how many more more people we could bring to Christ if instead of building walls and throwing rocks, if we would just simply honor people. It'd be amazing. Secondly, honor, I mean, not honor, but love the brotherhood. This is Christian to Christian. Love the brotherhood, our Christian identity. In 1 Peter, five times, there's a constant theme of loving one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, how can we be the people of God if we're not going to love each other? How can, how can we work together to reach a world that needs Jesus if we can't even get along with each other? I've heard it said more than once that there's a reason there's an aisle in the church. Sometimes there's two aisles. John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love each other. The sign and the mark of our discipleship and fellowship and servanthood and surrender to Christ is that we love each other. Thirdly, fear God. Acknowledge who God is. Be in awe of Him. Worship Him. And, and I want to tell you that, that I, I love worship at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. I love our 1045 worship and, and music there. I love the worship and music at the 930 service. Al, exceptional job. Always a great job, but exceptional job this morning in, in, in bringing us into the presence of God in worship because we fear God. That means not only to be afraid of, but to be in awe of and to reverence and to bow down before and to be afraid of disappointing the one who's done so much for us. Fourthly, honor the emperor. We talked about that already. We have a duty to show respect and honor to those who are in authority over us. Why? Because, see, in, in, in one way, these four things are easy to do as long as we know and like and agree, but they're very difficult to do, and it's a hard pill to swallow when we don't like or disagree or it's not like us or it, it takes us getting out of our comfort zone. So why in the world should we do these four things? Well, let me give you three reasons we've already talked about. For the Lord's sake, verse 13, because it's the will of God, verse 15, and because we are servants of God, He's in charge, verse number 16. That's why. Can you imagine the difference it would make if, if Christians would take these four steps out in our communities? It's amazing. Now, secondly, I want you to notice, and all too quickly, the kingdom citizenship endures suffering for the gospel. Sometimes it costs something when we follow Jesus Christ you see, becoming a Christian does not deliver us from all earthly suffering. It doesn't deliver us from all sickness. It doesn't deliver us from persecution. It doesn't deliver us from, from financial woes. It doesn't deliver us from relationship issues. In fact, sometimes it gets even worse. In the book, Ten Things You Must Know About the Global War on Christianity by Johnny Moore, written just last year, 
Number one, Christians are the most persecuted religious group on earth. And then he says, no exaggeration. So we may endure suffering, but notice two ways. One is for the purpose of God. Somehow, some way, God may have his purpose and his plan that you and I would endure some sort of, pers of persecution, some sort of suffering in our lives. Peter is writing here to some Christians that were under the bondage of slavery. They were in slavery at the time. They had been converted. They were now a part of the church, but they were still in the system of slavery, and they remained in the system of slavery even though they had been set free in Christ and were believers and followers of Christ. In, in the New Testament, the book of Philemon uh, is a letter to a man about the topic of a runaway slave. And so, so we see that even in the days of the New Testament, but, we're, but, but we need to be understanding, uh, to be mindful, to, to show respect and grace because we're mindful of God, even when we face suffering, even when we are faced with injustice, we're still called to represent Christ even though we may endure suffering. Notice verse 18, servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. This seems so unjust to say, and yet there's a purpose of God in it somehow. For this is the gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. As, as unjust as, as slavery is, as unjust is, are, are so many circumstances that people find themselves in. When there is unjust suffering, there's something in that that, 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 uh, that, that that is a gracious act of God. Verse 20, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? What credit is that? You deserve the punishment you get if you have sinned in that way. If you steal something and you're thrown in jail, don't talk about how unjust that is. You got caught. <laughs> but if you're unjustly arrested and put in jail, and in so many cases because of faith, and you endure that, that's the gracious thing that it is talking about here. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So we may endure suffering for the purposes of God, but also while following the example of Jesus, we may endure suffering. You know, we, we get real excited about following Jesus. Lord, I'm going to go anywhere. I'm going to do anything. I'm going to follow you. And sometimes when we do that, it brings us into a time of suffering, uh, even in following the example of Christ. For some who suffer, it's a calling from God, just as it was with Christ. Notice verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. There's a lot of the steps of Jesus I want to follow. Suffering is not one of them. But if I'm going to be a servant of God, I follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. Jesus was called to suffer unjustly. That's God's purpose. God's plan for Christ is that he suffer unjustly so that you and I could be set free. We deserved it, but he got it. We get to go free while he endured our punishment. That's unjust to Jesus, but that is just what has set us free in Christ. Notice verse 22. Jesus, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You've been healed. 
in His unjust treatment, somehow, some way, God brought about our deliverance. And notice the reminder here in verse 25. For you, this is you and me, <laughs> for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, it all comes back to us, and it all comes back to the gospel. Because of our sin, Jesus stepped in and was treated unjustly so that we could go free. And because we now go free in Jesus, we're called to surrender ourselves as servants of God and to go where He leads us, even if it means that we might suffer unjustly. We'll never suffer unjustly to the point that Jesus suffered unjustly for us. And so even when it takes us into that suffering, we're called to follow the steps of Jesus so that we might somehow, some way, be a testimony to the world that by our citizenship in heaven, impacting our citizenship on earth, others can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and as King. Isn't that exciting news? And doesn't it put a whole different spin on our whole concept of citizenship and parties and politics? Would you stand with me? The beautiful thing about our faith is that Jesus takes us from right where we are. There's not anything we have to do except come to Him. And when we get there, He's going to clean us up. He's going to do a work in our lives, and it's a wonderful thing. We can't do it on our own. We need Him. So I wonder this morning about you, about your earthly citizenship, about your heavenly citizenship. And if you've ever trusted Christ and recognized that you belong to Him and you're a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, then I want to challenge you and encourage you to live out your faith in such a way that people see and want to follow Jesus. If you're here today, you've never entered into that heavenly citizenship by trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He'll take you just as you are, but you have to come just as you are. And simply say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I know that you were punished in my place. And Lord, I believe that you died for me and were buried and raised on the third day. Lord, I believe right now and trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me enter into that kingdom so that I might live with you forevermore. And so our Heavenly Father, may it be true even now today for us, regardless of who we are or where we are, that we might embrace you as Savior, live for you in our lives, that other people may see and come to know Christ as Savior as we trust in the name of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.